On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, today we're joined by Willem Wong, who is a veteran, a nurse, and a 20-year officer with the NYPD. He's actually uh, recently retired, so congratulations. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, his office overlooked the site of the former Twin Towers, and he was in Afghanistan 10 years ago when Osama bin Laden was killed in May of what was it, 2011, I believe. Yes. Uh, to honor the NYPD officers and dispatchers, his post is working with others to provide care packages between now and the anniversary date. Willem is a member of post 1291 in New York City, which provided relief and support for first responders in the aftermath of 9-11. And I believe that is the, uh, the post that our former national commander, Fang Wong, was a member of, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So thank you very much for joining us here. We, uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy retirement schedule uh, to, uh, to join us here. But tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, about your job in New York City and then how you came to be in Afghanistan. And basically just tell us what your 9-11 story is. So uh, my actual 9-11 story started when I actually was working at Two World Trade Center back in 1997 to 1999. So I was actually working at what they call the South Tower, which was also known as Two World Trade Center uh, on the 86th floor. So I was working for uh, the New York State Tax and Finance. So I was actually a tax evasion, income tax and sales tax evasion criminal investigator. Uh, so when, when I resigned from that position, my mom was actually very pissed off because you know, there's a saying in Chinese that it's it's a golden rice bowl. You don't you're not gonna get rich from civil service, but you're not gonna be hungry. Um, so she she basically didn't understand until that day on 9/11. I said, wow. Then she realized that I actually would have been there if I continued work. I actually left 20 about 20 months prior to 9/11. What the people that that I worked with, most of them died. Uh, there was actually one survivor I know that survived both the 1993 attack and also the 2001 attack. Um, but uh, I remember vividly that one person that kept on asking me about my, if I want to resign was uh, this person named Sal Papasso. Um, he was in a sister unit of mine called the Patron Alcohol Tobacco Firearms. It's almost like the ATF for New York State. Mm -hmm. and. He basically said, hey, once upon my resignation, he was going to take my position. And that was my position was considered a promotion for him. And um, and unfortunately, um, he asked me so many times. I said, look, how many times do I have to tell you? I'm going to I'm actually going to go work for Gap Corporate because I was working for um, what they call corporate social responsibility at that time at the, my next position in corporate in my corporate uh, capacity. So. I said, look, so I basically took my badge off my belt and I said, hey, hey, you want the badge? I'll give it to you. And I, I don't know what to say. I'm going to resign in two weeks. Found out later that he was counting on, on my resignation so he could get married and use my position as a promotion so, so he could get married. 
And then I realized later that uh, when, when someone told me that the, the, only, the, the, the only thing that they found on his body was the badge on his torso, on, on uh, just a remnants of his torso. And I said, wow. So, so from that point on, I said, wow, that's uh, an eerie feeling. I still get chills thinking about that. Like that's the only thing they ID'd him was the badge and remnants of his torso because they didn't find anything else of him that they could match DNA wise. Wow, that's that's terrible. So how did how did you come to be in the military and and how did it and when did you join the police force? And... So I joined the military in 1988. Oh, okay. So basically, I joined during President Reagan's near the tail end of President Reagan. And when I finished basic training in AIT, it was November 9th, 1989. And I never really looked at my DD-214 that, that clearly until maybe like the last five, 10 years. And I, I realized, wait a second, November 9th, 1989 was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And so I realized, wow, I actually enter active duty uh, for basic training AIT during the Cold War and then upon, um, leaving active duty from training. It was actually the post-Cold War at that point. And what did you do in the, when you were in the service? So I, I was enlisted for 12 years from 1988 to 2000. I was, a, uh, I was a, what they call a nutritional food service specialist. And then I was a combat medic. Mm -hmm. And then I was a, a nurse. So I actually got my nursing uh, license through, through the army so to speak. And I still maintain my nursing license from New York State because of my military training. And then I got commissioned in 2000 as a health service planning officer. Um, well, and so for the last 20 years, I, I've been a commission officer, but overall service, I have 32 years. So, uh, my current rank is Lieutenant Colonel at this point. Oh, nice. So are, now you serve in, the, is it the New York Guard or is it the Reserve? Uh, Army Reserves. I was Army. always in the Army Reserve the whole time. Um, and then uh, when I was in Iraq, I was with uh, Army Civil Affairs, 353 mm -hmm. Civil Affairs in Staten Island. And then in 2011, I just happened to be on a special assignment with the Marines as a human terrain team, team leader in Helmut Province, Afghanistan. Wow. And so that's what you did when you were uh, there in 2011? 2011. Well, you know, my army buddies basically just said, hey, who did you piss off to be assigned to Marines? <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> on an HTT team. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, and you know, what it, what it meant to be over there after having seen, you know, what had gone down on 9-11. So the human terrain team or the human terrain system was a very controversial program that was basically, the, was an idea of General Petraeus, right? I'm pretty sure there's other people behind it, but he was the one that spearheaded the human terrain system and got it funded from a proof of concept to a so actually, my, my team was actually the first one after the proof of concept was approved. Um, and, and so the human terrain team was to understand the human terrain. So General Petraeus had a saying, the decisive terrain is the human terrain. And I said, wow. I said, yeah, you have, and of course, working in civil affairs before, you know, the, the saying always goes, winning hearts and minds. But the human terrain team brought it beyond winning hearts and minds. Like you actually have to understand, have a deeper understanding of the human terrain. So one of the, my team members was a anthropologist and archeologist, PhD. Um, so I had all these PhD social scientist types, all the, all my team members were all civilians. So when I was interacting with the Marines from RCT-1 and RCT-5 on the RCT-1 under Colonel Furness and under uh, RCT-5 under Colonel uh, Turner, 
who are both generals at this point uh, in the Marine Corps, you know, they, the Marines basically looked at my, my, my guys like, oh, you bunch of Birkenstock, latte sipping, you know, granola crunching type of guys. I said, look, look, my guys, I, and I happen to be the team leader and all the only military team member on the team. So I wore a uniform. Everyone didn't wear a uniform or right. most of them actually didn't even serve in the military. So, so I said, look, my guys are here to understand the terrain differently from you guys. If, if somehow we can't influence the terrain, the people, then you guys are the blunt force instrument that comes behind us to take necessary action, right? So I basically, my guys has a different, different mission, but we all have the, a common mission of trying to secure the environment, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the HCT uh, teams. I know that uh, at least by 2005, the contract was with uh, BAE had the, That's right. had the contract. And I had actually put in a full packet and yes. I had been accepted to the HDT teams. And then I met my wife and decided maybe it wasn't, uh, you know, I was getting a little long in the tooth to be playing soldier guy in Afghanistan too much longer, but it's, I, I love the program. I thought it was, a, oh, it's, it's great. It, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I have to say one thing, like I was a little skeptical when I, cause you know, I, I just got back from Iraq in early 2009. And then by 2010, they were all calling me to, go back in and I was like no I don't want to go back in and then I transferred to the IRR and then by 2010 they basically said pick I basically said pick your poison I said look I'm going to join the human terrain team and my wife wasn't sure about that but anyway I think it was one of the better decisions because uh, that was one of those you know experience I could never get and um you know it was one of the great great experience I ever had it yeah, was very I, controversial but yeah and it was it was I mean, people need to understand, it was a pretty dangerous mission. The HCT guys are out there and girls are completely on their own for the most part. It was. Uh, yeah, because um, the thing is, uh, Mark, you know, I was I was there to be the program. Uh, I think like some type of data manager, but eventually the, the team leader that, that I had was kicked off and wasn't able to come in country. And in the flight of going to Afghanistan, I was asked. <laughs> guess what? You want to be the team leader or not? I said, what's my recourse? You have no recourse. I said, okay, I'll take it. Because <laughs> so, the colonel that was in charge of the program, one of the colonels that was in charge of the program was an SF guy. I guess he, he, he basically put my name in and said, hey, you want the, you want the position or not? I said, I'll take the position. And as a major, that was a, I wasn't even a major yet. I was a captain at that time. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually a lieutenant colonel spot. So I got promoted in country to major. I was already slotted to be promoted and, and I was below, below, you know, below the zone at the same time. So it was great, you know, um, but it was an honor to, to serve, especially when I'm up against a lot of people that are much higher ranking than myself. Right. Ashley, you are up. Awesome. Thanks for being here. What just Thanks, listening Ashley. to you has, I'm just so visual and I can just, I imagine. Mm. So I want to ask you a little bit more about your American Legion post and your involvement. Um, I know that the post uh, 1291 had provided relief and support uh, for first responders in the aftermath of 9-11. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about your relationship with the American Legion and how you came to be a legionnaire. Obviously you've had a, a very amazing career with you know some of these big events and i'm just curious as to how and when legion became involved in your life 
So I actually joined the American Legion, the, the you know, post uh, 1291, the Kemlau post in 2000. So this is actually my 21st year with continuous with the Kemlau post. And I walked in without being sponsored by anyone. I just walked up to the post and, and I already had 12 years in as, as an enlisted service member at that time. I think I was still a, a, an enlisted service member at that time. Um, I didn't get commissioned until November of 2000. Um, so I probably went there around April, May of 2000. I went up there and just said, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to join. And I, I wasn't sure, was it Fang Wong or, or Gabe Mui, the adjutant, saying, oh, well, what's, what makes you qualify? I said, um, so I, I submitted my paperwork that I served in, you know, even though it was annual training, I was in, I was in El Salvador and in, um, and in, uh, in Panama. And so they said, oh, okay, you got overseas service, even though it was for trainings, they said you qualify as per the national headquarters, because they had to, they had to submit my paperwork in. And it felt like almost like they were reluctant to let me in. I said, well, I said why? You know, I'm willing to join, you know? So, uh, and, and then from that point on, you know, I just try to, you know, participate as much as I can, because um, I'm still in the service. Still have a, I have a young family right now. And I, I try, try to do as much as I can. I have an eight-year-old daughter and six-year-old son. So it's very difficult to try to participate as much as I can with them, but I try to do the best I can. Um, and currently, even though um, I retired from the NYPD, uh, the NYPD has a, an American Legion post called American Legion Post 460. So we have the NYPD, even though it's, it's the biggest municipal police department in, in the country, the United States, we have 35,000 cops, right? But out of that, about 10% or about 3,700 of them are veterans within, you know, with, you know that, that are veterans. And within New York City, we have about 320,000 municipal city workers you know, in all city agencies. Out of that, we have that's about eight thousand of them are veterans. So we actually have close to forty-five percent of all the veterans in any city agency in just NYPD. I, I didn't I didn't believe it. I was wow. like I was even asking about FDNY and saying, you know, even though FDNY was about ten to twelve thousand, you know, firefighters and EMS. Well, I should say firefighters. I didn't know how many of them were. Uh, veterans, but I would say less than even 5%, which I was kind of surprised, you know. Wow. I, yeah. Thank you for dropping knowledge bombs on all of us. I, <laughs> I did not know that. That was very cool. Because I, I wow. work closely with the New York City Department of Veterans Services because in my, in my role in the NYPD, um, my recent role in the NYPD before I retired, I was part of the NYPD ups, startup called uh, Health and Wellness Section. So the health and wellness section stood up in 2019 to address the 10 NYPD suicides that we had, active duty suicides, like people that actually were active members of the, of the service that killed themselves. Um, that doesn't include retirees and stuff like that. So uh, if, if I'm pretty sure you guys know, within, within the general population, 18.2 individuals killed themselves per 100,000, right? And if you extrapolated that 30, 30 per 35,000, that's, you know, I mean, 10 per 35,000 is almost 30 per 100,000 in just the NYPD. So that became an epidemic. And we started the health and wellness to address mental health issues and suicide prevention. So I, I've been coordinating with the New York City Department of Veterans Services to get transcendental meditation for our veterans in NYPD. Uh, I, I also teach mental health first aid 
to the veterans and other other people within NYPD. We trained over eleven thousand people so far within wow. NYPD in that. But that took that was since twenty seventeen. So I either coordinated or I or I taught the class myself. So you are amazing. <laughs> I love Thanks. it. I love it. No, because because I, I feel passionate about it because that's that's something that I'm already kind of doing within within the military, right? I'm a medical service officer, so I want to. It's an extension of you. It's your mm -hmm. your second service, your continued care for the community. I love it. Yes. All right, Jeffrey. Now that you're back and uh, with us, you are up. All right. I I couldn't I couldn't let it go without saying that. Uh, with all the amazing stuff you've done, I, I don't think you pissed anybody off to go to the Marines. I think they rewarded you to be working with the Marine Corps. So uh, it, it was definitely a different culture because I had to I had to understand the culture of the Marines, right? You know, so they're very more self-effacing than than a lot of other services. Say nicely. <laughs> well, it, my uh, my post members call us a cult. That's what they say to us there. Oh, yeah, and it's also yeah. interesting that you're doing the first aid, uh, the mental health first aid, because we started that uh, a couple of years ago and got about 20 members of my post trained in that. Uh, but my question goes to your it, the history that you have of the timing, of the timing of when you joined with the Berlin Wall going down and uh, and just all the way through, all the way through your retirement, you've you, you've had a very interesting timeline of service. And the, the one thing was brought out at the beginning when Mark read your bio, that you were in Afghanistan when Osama bin Laden was killed. Yes. And I don't want to get super uh, after school special here, but it's when you told, when you said the story about your, your, your colleague and they found your badge on his torso, then you're in Afghanistan when Osama bin Laden was killed. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speculate on the feelings that you had in stringing those two really significant events together for you personally. But if, if, if you can, if you can share something about that and also the mood of the people around you, because Osama bin Laden was really the reason why we were there, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you personally, because of the connection to that badge, that, that physical piece, and then kind of what everyone was kind of thinking. Wow. Uh, so I, I still remember vividly that day uh, when I woke up on May 1st, 2011, when Osama Bin was killed. And I said, wow, it, to me, it was a, was a big, a big closure, so to speak, because I, you know, I'm a new, I'm a New Yorker. I'm with NYPD, so we already lost 23 NYPD service members on on September 11, not not including the 37 Port Authority police officer and the 343 FDNY firefighters, right? So it was a it was a it was a big deal, and I, and seeing the scene in Times Square, and everyone was happy, but I but I also know that was not the end. <laughs> it was not going to be the end. Killing Osama bin Laden was not going to be the end of this. It's just going to be another phase of this long, drawn-out, long war, so to speak, right? That General Petraeus spoke about. So, um, 
So I, it's just evolving all the time. And then after that, you know, I think uh, the rise of ISIS, right? And shortly after that, and that became another issue. And then we're still continuing. And then now we're pulling out of Af Afghanistan. And uh, I don't know how, 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 I, how people really feel, including myself, like, was it worth it, right? Some people would say, was it worth it? All the people treasure and lives lost at this point, just to pull out what was really gained at this point in Iraq and Afghanistan, specifically Afghanistan, because that, that country is known as the graveyard of empires, so to speak. All these countries that went through it to try to, let's say, control it, or at least have influence on it, really got nowhere, so to speak, right? It just had some control, but after a while, we, we, we don't have that much control over it, so. So, oh, all right, and um, so I guess the, the point being, the point, my point being is that you, you had a big, uh, you had a big why in your life for, for being there, uh, even though it happened after you served it, did it change your, did, how did nine, how did nine eleven change your service from, from your perspective? Like, mm. what you thought about your service how you connected with your service did it make you stay longer like uh just i'm, I'm really i'm really trying to uncover the 9-11 effect on willow okay. all right so you know obviously i i joined the service before 9-11 but because of 9-11 i definitely wanted to stay longer because that was you know something that had to be i felt had to be done i had to serve and and uh, my capacity was mainly not the infantry portion, right? Not the, not the kinetic portion of the war, but the non-kinetic to, to build the capacity, to be able to build that capacity for the host nation so they could govern themselves, hopefully in, on their terms with the credibility of for their people, right? Um, so that's hard to speak about sometimes, but um, I, I felt that, you know, we have to, be able to give it back to their country, right? Even though, you know, we don't want to be seen as conquerors. And, and there's always like, you know, I saw, especially working in the medical field, um, I saw specifically there were units or the models were crusaders and they had to like strike that out. They had to strike out the Red Cross <laughs> from anywhere just so that we're not seen as a crusade, so to speak. Um, so um, I, I saw a lot of that PC going on also in country and a lot of things that I'm pretty sure about that, that you may have seen that was, had to be PC because there were things that from the Western point of view was like, well, why, why are we doing this or allowing certain things to happen in country? But we took it as it's a cultural phenomenon that we don't understand and we have to let it, let it go, so to speak. Um, so, it's, that's a hard question because, you know, um, I felt that it was, it's my sense of duty to do what I can, but it's hard to, to say was the outcome what we want it to be. It's, that's, that's, every veteran has to answer that themselves that has served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Was it the outcome that we want? It, that's, that's, a political, that's a political question, but on, on a personal note, um, I can only say I did the best I can. Right, <laughs> you could. That's the only thing you could really say. I did the best I can in the amount of time I had. Because every, you know, I had to pick. I, I, I had the ball at a certain time 
on this timeline, right, in Iraq, Afghanistan. I picked up the ball, carried the ball, handed off to the next, you know, next rotation, so to speak, and then they did what they can, right? So I can only say that I did the best I can and with, with my team members also. Right? So. Yeah, I think uh, what's, you and I aren't going to answer whether it was worth it or not. I think historians are going to have to do that in a, in a time when uh, every when we were fully pulled out and and some and some time has passed, but I appreciate I appreciate your answer. Yes, it's sort of a dark sense of humor, but I, I've heard it from hundreds of Afghan vets that are saying like, "Hey, man, when I left, we were still winning," and I've heard that from uh, and even when I was there in '04 the first time to when I went back in in 2010 they were drastically different. It might as well have been kind of two different wars. Even the, yes. even the locations that were the same didn't look anything like when we were in uh, there in 04, we would have small fobs. And then when I went back in 10, they were like a mile long. It was crazy. So now that you're uh, retired, what do we, what do we have on the, uh, on the front burner? What are you going to do to keep yourself busy? So I'm basically taking the time to decompress because I, you know, people been kind enough to offer me positions but like what's the per point of retiring if I can't take time off for myself and my family at least the whole summer at this point mm. you know before I re-engage so to speak but I'm still involved with a lot of the veteran stuff related to mental health mm. either through the department of veteran services or my old unit on uh, the NYPD health and wellness section just to address the the veterans um you know veterans concerns either through transcendental meditation we're trying to do something regarding therapy dogs and also um, working on equine, not equine therapy, but equine experiential learning, they call it. Um, so there's a couple of things I'm, I'm working on behind the scenes, uh, even though I'm retired, because I felt like I have to finish what I started. Even though I'm retired, I still want to finish what I started. And uh, I'm trying to also get the Veterans Conference off the ground with Department of Veteran Services. Um, we had about four to 500 veterans within NYPD that we were about to uh, do a veterans conference on March 18, 2019 before, uh, tw well, 20, 2020 before COVID happened. And, you know, we had all these great speakers. We had, we had the Marine from Ernie and Joe, you know, Ernie and Joe, that HBO documentary. Um, he was supposed to be one of our guest speakers, uh, speaking about mental health and PTSD. So we want to have, have veterans that, that we can identify with that, that could speak about lived experience. Um, cause you, it's hard to relate to other people unless you are a veteran yourself. Sometimes even NYPD, I felt closer to my veteran buddies that are NYPD police officers, right? Not, not taking away from other cops. I'm just saying that I felt closer to, we had another layer of, of bonding that, transcend being wearing the, the, the NYPD uniform so well great we really appreciate you taking time from your day and talking to us today and uh couldn't appreciate more all, all that you've done for both the NYPD and as a veteran so again thank you very much for joining us today thank you remember to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts and while you're there Please rate and leave us a review. If you have any questions or comments, you can send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. And we will be back tomorrow with another 9-11 story. But folks, thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you.